So hello, Dr. Patterson. Thank you for coming back to the channel. We're going to be talking about your, your products and, uh, and go into some details about uh, the, the chemistry of it, why it works, and how to use the products. Um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of individuals that watch my channel have lots of questions that are uh, focused on uh, self-care and how to, uh, how to improve their immune system and uh, are very interested in your in, uh, in your product line so uh, thank you for coming and if you could just uh, do a quick introduction of yourself and uh, then we can go right into the discussion well thank you i'm glad to be here i'm here because i have something to say based on the fact that i have been board certified in anti-aging medicine and then i also got board certified in naturopathic medicine. I also have research PhDs in immunology, biology, and toxicology. So with this background, I wanted to know what works, how it works in the body, and be able to make my own products. And that's why I'm here talking about silver. It's probably my favorite, best performing nutritional supplement I know of. Great, great. So um, for ones that don't know, there's a lot of uh, confusion between colloidal silver, nano silver, alkaline structured silver. Can you set the record straight on those three different products and why your product, the alkaline structured product, is the better product? Yes, and I'm going to do it by chronology. I'm going to go back 200 years, and I'm going to move forward until the, the time we have now. About 200 years ago, we had stuff called ionic silver, and they learned to use it in photographic solutions. It was a liquid silver, but it was poisonous because it was so acidic. Then, after ionic silver started being swallowed and put on topically, people went, hey, this silver stuff seems to work. They developed something new called colloidal silver. So that's about the turn of the century. And about, to, about that time period, they started using it to drink, but it was so acidic that they would concentrate it in higher and higher and higher doses until they got it to a point where it would accumulate in the skin and stain the skin from the inside. Well, that's an inferior form of silver, and people kind of abandoned it when penicillin came along. And because of that, the patent expired. But during that time period, that colloidal silver got recognition in the physician's desk reference. 48 different drugs were focused on silver. Injectable silver, swallowing silver, ointment silver, burn silver, all these different kinds of silvers, IV even used silver. They were very beneficial, but they didn't know exactly what germs kind of were at that time period, and they just used it generically. But they also found that it would fall out of solution, meaning silver particles, like little flakes of silver, suspended in water, would fall out and settle to the bottom. And in this colloid of silver, that caused a problem because it would stick in the skin and cause a bluing or a gray skin color called argyria. Now, what happened was penicillin just kind of took over and they just abandoned using silver mostly. But 
penicillin and all the antibiotics have become resistant, the bacteria have become resistant, and we've got a bigger problem than we ever imagined with all these antibiotics. So silver is making a comeback. But colloidal silver was what they used to make a comeback. That's a 100-year-old technology, and it wasn't as safe if you used it in high amounts because of its acidity. Now, along comes another silver called Silver Soul, and I participated in that company, and I participated working with that product, and it was a good product and a safer product and a beneficial product, but yet it was still a 4.5 or 5.5 acidic problem, meaning it was an acid, a strong acid. So people would only want to take it during an emergency. And that made sense. That's common sense. So when I left that company, I left because I developed a new idea that you should be able to take this silver daily for its benefit of all the different problems in our air and water and body and make it in a way that was alkaline. Now, you could take it every single day so that the silver was circulating in your bloodstream before a problem from your environment entered your body. By doing so, the silver could work to be excreted from the body quickly with the problem. Now, that's pro that silver soul that was acidic became alkaline structured silver by myself. I developed this so you could take it daily. Alkaline is the key word here because all other silvers up until that point were strong acids or acids. And it caused the immune system to mobilize and try to sequester around it. And that's where the problem came. Now, we've got a silver that's the same pH as your body. It goes into your body and your immune system isn't immediately activated against it or defend itself against an acid. It realizes it's the same pH as your body so we can take it daily. So we can use it in larger amounts. And by structuring the water, we now have the ability to peel back biofilms. Now, last month I went to Africa twice and I went over there, especially to Egypt in one of my presentations to talk to the Vascular Surgeon Association because their wounds are growing biofilms and antibiotics aren't being able to penetrate through. Then antibiotic resistance shows up and now in those countries, their FDA equivalent has said, no more antibiotics before surgery, no more antibiotics after surgery unless the wound becomes infected. So these surgeons want to know a technique of which I've developed and I've put out there and I presented to their medical association where silver in a structured alkaline form can peel back those biofilms because of the structure of the water, the safety of the water, the energy of the water. It's not just tap water holding silver particles. And now this structure is able to resonate at a frequency, it vibrates. So structured alkaline silver resonates at a frequency that destroys the problem in or on the body. With that in mind, you've got to see now that it's working with the immune system. It can be taken daily and it is a structured alkaline silver. So we start with the natural benefit of silver, which steals electrons, fires silver ions and resonates at 910 terahertz 
the, the, the perfect frequency that can help against all these different problems that uh, can be in your body or on your body. So the back history is simple. We had silvers that were poisonous and acidic, and now we've developed a silver that is alkaline using structured water. In fact, NASA, of everything it could choose to send into outer space for the space shuttle and for the space lab, chooses to send silver for the astronauts and chooses silver to purify their water and silver to purify their air. That's a pretty big testament of silver's benefit and safety because it's not easy to make an office call up into outer space. Right, right. So we have some questions that, 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 uh, that was posted on the channel. One of those questions was, with a 500 ppm colloidal versus, let's say, a 30 ppm uh, silver solution, a lot of individuals think that a bigger PPM number in colloidal would mean, well, it's a better product and it's stronger, so it's, it's better to take. So how, wh what would you say to that individual between the silver solution that you provide versus the 500 PPM colloidal? Well, the science journals say it's the form of silver that's the greatest benefit. And when you're talking about 50-year-old technology that has 500 parts per million colloidal silver, that means one particle of silver has the ability to steal an electron or particle from a bacteria membrane and destroy that membrane. Thus, the silver's orbital is complete and it's neutralized. So you get 500 individual kills from a colloidal 500 part per million silver and then they go neutral and leave the body. But when you take silver and infuse it with 10,500 volts of magnetic resonant energy, you now have silver forming little crystalline structures like the shape of my fingers here. And on each corner of this tetrahedron, you've got oxygen silver in a component that will not only steal a particle from the membrane, rupturing it, it will then generate an energy surrounding this semiconductor, this little crystal that will fire. And the resonation of that energy, that vibration, if you will, if it touches the bacteria, it will dissolve its membrane. And it continues to do so indefinitely, millions of times in an hour. So this crystalline structure of the structured alkaline silver has the ability to destroy like a rapid fire machine gun, millions of problems, while the 500 part per million inferior acidic silver has the ability to destroy 500 single shots and it's done and over. So it's the form of silver that's doing the work and colloidal silver falls out of solution after it has performed its one effort while the structuring of silver allows you to have rapid fire benefit for a longer period of time against more of the pathogens. Can you address the toxicity of the 500 ppm? Colloidal. Yes, because colloidal by definition means that it will fall out of solution. For instance, milk is a colloidal fat. 1% of it 
is fat or 2% of it is fat and it separates if you leave it on the counter for a week you'll see that it separates out of solution so a colloidal silver will fall out of solution separate from the water and aggregate or accumulate in the skin or other places of the body while the structured alkaline silver binds to itself forming a little energetic crystalline structure and for this reason the structure with alkalinity isn't going to overactivate the immune system and it's going to be much safer and it should not accumulate in all the studies we've done it does not accumulate and the EPA says that it leaves the body within 12 hours 24 hours it's totally excreted so what's happening here is that the colloidal silver falls out of solution and can stick in your body parts the alkaline structured silver stays bonded to itself, meaning the water and the silver bonded together so it is excreted out of the body much safer, much more beneficial, which that with that rapid fire machine gun ability over the single shot toxicity of a colloid. Mm -hmm. So let's uh, you know pivot to the actual products. So on my website, I, I, I carry your products. I, I carry the silver solution, the mouthwash, the lavender soap, the three bottle applicator, um, the uh, extra strength gel, um, and the lozenges, the, the honey and lemon lozenges. And I'd, I'd like to uh, dive into how does one use the actual silver solution, either um, if they feel ill or a everyday use, and how would they use the actual? silver you know the extra strength gel well these are our two most commonly purchased and used products the liquid is for any use it can be sprayed on the body or it can be swallowed into the body the dose is very important and it suggests two teaspoons twice a day for the healthy person that wants maintenance of wellness now if you feel sick you're under stress you're around a lot of sick people Doubling that makes common sense. So two tablespoons isn't exactly double, but to remember two teaspoons if you're well, two tablespoons if you're sick is kind of a really good approach. Then in my book, I've written 480 different ways to use silver that will include some of the more dramatic uses like if silver is going to go into your mouth by liquid, and you're going to swallow it and it's going to end up being excreted from the body 12 hours later it's mostly excreted through the urine so it's going to pool in the bladder the other thing we found about this liquid silver is when you drink it it passes through the body unchanged two things are important there that is the definition of non-toxic to have something go into your body producing no harmful metabolites and being excreted the same as it went in number one number two is that when it pools in the bladder it's still working identically the same as it went into your mouth so if a person has a bladder condition that they need to take care of silver can pool in large amounts like four ounces at a time can fill up that 
bladder working on the problems that occur in the bladder at the time. So you can see there's unique ways to use this silver, but liquid, simply swallow two teaspoons twice a day, double it if you're feeling under stresses. Now, in addition to that, it's not toxic even when taken a full bottle at a time. Now that was done and published in a study that I did on mice where we could not find a toxicity even though we filled their bellies completely full with the liquid silver three times a day for 30 straight days. So that's a pretty real substantial non-toxic issue. Now, those little applicator bottles you talked about are some of the most popular things right now because you can take the liquid silver, pour it into the applicator bottle, and it's now a pump, a facial pump for spray, refreshing. You can spray it on doorknobs, door handles, computers, anything to deliver a mist of the liquid. And there's an eyedropper for putting it in eyes and ears. There's also an intranasal spray that you can put in your nostril pump it three times, inhale, and it now goes up into the sinuses and down the back of the throat just to deal with those very critical areas where you might be breathing in problems from, from our air or from other people's coughs or sneezes. So the liquid can be used to soak your toenails in it. You can use it on a Band-Aid to put as a bandage. But that leads me to the gel, why we developed the gel was because the gel stays in place longer. Here's why that matters. In the science, we've discovered that it takes about two minutes for the silver, liquid or gel, to be in combination with a problem that's in a Petri dish and destroy it completely. So knowing that the silver takes two minutes to accomplish its purpose, the gel stays in place longer than just a spray or a drink so gargling this makes sense. Holding it in your mouth for two minutes makes sense. That's why we made a gel that will stay in place and it can be used on your feet, on your hands, in your eyes even, and where it's used as much as any is inside the vagina where there's a lot of problems because of the warm, moist nature of that area. And those problems can all be destroyed by the gel. So gel stays in place longer, liquid is utilized in and on the entire body with this idea. If there's an environmental problem from the air, from the water, from somebody's cough or sneeze, the silver needs to be in contact with it for two minutes to totally wipe it out. Simple. Now we're just smart enough to drink a little bit of silver regularly. We're ready to know that the gel is there to stay in place longer and lozenges were developed specifically because kids didn't like the idea of being treated with medicine. So we made lozenges for children because now they've got 25 minutes of oral silver in a place where most of their problems occur or originate. So this is the idea behind our product line. And with the elements of silver being safe in a much more beneficial alkaline form, and being used on or in the body, we just need to know how to use them in those specific ways. I know you've got more questions. How can I help? Um, because we're starting to get going lockdown or you know quarantine in the United States. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, we 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 actually Governor Cuomo, the, the uh, of New York State, uh, announced that we're going to be sheltered in place 
for the foreseeable future for non-essential workers. Wow. Uh, going forward, going forward. So I don't know if that means 15 days or 30 days or whatever, right? So um, individuals may start running out of filtration systems for their water. So is there a way to use the, what would be the recommendation or maybe it's not possible, but I think it is possible where they use the silver solution, they actually use it as a, um, a way to uh, purify their, their tap water. If their you, filtration systems start to, to, to break down. Boy, you sure are a visionary here. I have published this in my book and several other places that what the laboratory shows with liquid silver is that you take four drops with an eyedropper, just like in those application bottles, four drops of liquid silver in an eight ounce glass of water and wait for 1.2 minutes, it will destroy the problems that cause water to uh, cause a problem. Do you see how I'm trying to dance around saying what right. we've said in the past? Right, right. But it will, it will give a purification process to the water. Now let's add that in a bigger source. If I were to take four drops into eight ounces of water, could I just do the math on that and say a gallon of water needs how much liquid silver poured into it? And the answer to that is just a number of drops and you times eight goes into 124, was it 128 is a gallon. And so you're, you just times that number by eight. So instead of four drops, you've now times it by eight. So you get 32 drops. Well, you're going, couldn't I just measure that in, yeah, basically one cap, one cap full off of this bottle filled with liquid silver, poured into a one gallon jug of raw river water, won't filter out the chunks, but it will destroy the problems associated with bad water. So one capful, one gallon, and you can do the math on however many gallons you're gonna have out there, but it does in fact destroy those colony forming problems that get into your water. Mm -hmm. And this is, I think, important to understand that as the society starts to break down, um, the filter, our actual tap water in, in some regions of the country may actually get worse. So it's important to, if you don't have, if, if you're not using a filter or you're, you run out of filters um, and you have this product at home, it's dual purpose. That's what I, what I like about the whole concept of, of this is that these bottles, they, they're, they're dual purposed. You can use these in so many different ways. Now, you know, if I was to go camping, let's say everything, you know, calms down and I, you know, go camping again, you know, it makes sense. You can get, you know, some river water and you, you would have a, a, like a towel. You would, uh, you would pour the water into, into a, a jug. You'd get all those larger particles, you know, out because of the towel. And then you can, you know, put a cap or so of it of, of the, of the silver solution in there and, you know, wait a little bit. And then, you know, now you have, um, you know, a, a purified, um, uh, some water to drink. Yes. Um, and because the silver isn't metabolized into something else, it's now going to give you a benefit orally as well. So you're getting the benefit for the water and the body both. So it doesn't hurt to put a little bit more in if you choose to do so. Well, you're right. You know, you know, right. Exactly. 
Um, but I think I'm trying to pivot people to start thinking like they're camping, you know, just in case <laughs> yep. things start to really break down the modern amenities of society, um, uh, will we'll move closer to the, to the camping days. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll see. We'll see. Um, so uh, another product that we have on the store is the soaps. So we have currently just the lavender soap, but you have many, many soaps, just like you have many different lozenges. So if you could talk about the soaps for a second. Yeah, one right here. Okay, so the soap comes in a box. It has aromatic qualities, but the number one thing we wanted with soap was to give you a clean soap because there's so many toxins in soap that nobody has even looked at for so many years that we've got sodium lauryl sulfate, a cancer-causing agent in some of your soaps that are on the shelf. You've got all kinds of chemical names that people can't even read or understand, and they're toxic to the body, to the skin, and they're used in there because they're antimicrobial soaps, they call them, and yet we know that in the last four or five months, the FDA banned 28 of the 31 ingredients found in hand sanitizers and many of those ingredients are in soap. So soap is toxic, and you can feel it on your skin when it is. Dries it out, makes it itchy. Now, with that in mind, if you're going to be sequestered inside all the time, you can't afford to be dry, itchy skin because that lets problems in the air absorb into your body. This soap is non-toxic. This soap is made first and foremost to be non-toxic, second to carry silver. Now, what that means is when you wash with this, you're going to get the ability to clean off the dead skin cells and leave behind silver, and silver is going to destroy the uh, problem-causing things that might come to you from your environment. In addition, this one has lavender. It not only gives an aromatic calming to the senses to reduce stress, but it's found to work similarly on your skin. So we don't get tightness and we don't get our immune response rapidly coming because of it. What we get is normal skin function with an aroma of lavender that's stress reducing, delivering silver in a non-toxic way. And uh, I gotta tell you, there's many people that love the aroma of these. I think we have five different soaps and so You've got the one that's the most popular by far, the lavender. Thank you. Um, could you address the question on if the extra strength silver gel can be ingested? We, we know that we can put it on our hands. We can put it, you know, you know, in a wound and all that. But is there a dual purpose other than just uh, topically or, you know, vaginally? Sometimes less words are better. I'm pumping a pump full of the silver on my silver gel on my finger. Can you see that? Yes. Is that visible? Okay, this yes. should put that to rest. Okay, it has no taste. It tastes like water. It goes into my mouth. I smash it around with my tongue. Now, it's absolutely working on my gum beds. It's working in the back of my throat. It stays longer. I can brush my teeth with it just by using it as a toothpaste. But this one you haven't seen before, and you're going to see it right now. I've got a daub of the gel on my finger. Okay. Are you okay with that? 
Yeah, okay. <laughs> All righty. Now, this wow. is starting to be like a Johnny Carson episode. <laughs> so now, I just put it in my eye, and my eye is going to have, you know, I, it'd be like window wipers trying to wipe it off, but it's safe enough, and I'm not screaming bloody murder because it hurts because it doesn't. But it is, in fact, moving around, and it's in my eye. Okay, so that should dispel anybody's worry about, can I put it in my eye? Can I put it in my nose? Can I put it in my mouth? Can I put it in my vagina or rectum? Yes, is the answer. It's safe and it's not irritating. There's many, many watchers have pets, all right? Um, especially, let's say, for cats. And they have, you know, these eye infections or eye issues. Uh is this sort of a product that you could put that gel on the eye of that cat or let's say putting in the eyedropper, the, the silver solution, and then putting drops by the eye and rubbing it into the, 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 the cat's uh, eye infection? Yeah, you're, co you're correct on both of those options. It's what you and your relationship with your pet is like because I know a spray bottle is usually a punishment sign for cats and dogs. So if you go around spraying this on them, they're going to run from you. So hold them down, calm them down, just drop a lid, put the gel in is one really easy way to do it because they can't shake it out. And the other way is, is to hold them down, calm them down, put an eyedropper in. Most of them will want, meaning I'm speaking for the pet like, I'm, like I know what pets think. I don't, but <laughs> most pets respond easy to an eyedropper, and you don't just put one drop in. Just put a, put a few in there. Just make sure you get it where you want it. The issue there is it will run off, and you'll need to do it more frequently than this. This is very simple to do literally once a day. The liquid you're going to be doing twice a day, maybe even more to, to have it stay in place as long. And again, it's just about the convenience for you and your pet and that relationship. I had a friend who had a, uh, a, a dog that scratched their cornea and they actually had to have the cornea surgery. They had to put the, the uh, cornea patch on it and they had this antibiotic um, uh, medicine that they had to put on. But if I knew about this product, I would have also said, you know, put the gel on there too. Um, so sometimes pets will get their, their cornea scratched and it's so bad, it's so deep that they actually have to have surgery and the, the, yeah. the cornea surgery. So, um, and if they get an infection, they could lose the eye. So this is, you know, you know one, one also use. But in, in terms of heat, let's say, um, um, uh, they're putting uh, this for their pet health um, because we know it, it supports the immune system. Can, can liquid silver be put on, let's say, uh, something that is warm or hot uh, uh, food? And would it change the chemical structure? You're, you ask a terrific question. And it came to me because I had a friend who – is addicted to his coffee. And he said, can't I just put a little bit of this in my coffee? And I didn't know until we tested. In the laboratory, the results show that the liquid silver can be frozen into ice cubes and it will work exactly the same as it's released into the mouth from an ice cube or boiled. So we can take liquid silver and literally put it in a hot boiling soup 
and it's going to be beneficial in the body just as much as if you took it at room temperature. So it can be boiled, it can be frozen, and it will still work the same in both ways. But have you tested with a piece of meat, marinating it with, let's say, wine, and then you put the, the, the silver on it, the, the, the liquid silver, and see what, what the taste of the meat is. We should try it. <laughs> we should try it. Now, I will tell you this. I've taken the little spray bottle, and I've gone into places when we had, you know, a, a bunch of teenagers come over to have, you know, everybody's having the uh, party or the lunch, and we literally just sprayed it on all the meat before the hamburgers were cooked on the grill. It was a very simple thing to do. And uh, it's, it's this, this is the science behind that. In EPA, they call things a topical disinfectant when they have the ability to be sprayed on a surface. This surface disinfectant is sold all over the country, usually as chlorine-based products or something that destroys germs in that way. Silver was subjected to the same tests. And what happened to perform exactly the same was to spray it on a countertop, let it sit for just over a minute, and then wipe it clean. Now, when you read the labels of some of your disinfectants that are out there, that are Clorox-based and otherwise, they say the same thing. Spray, let stand for a minute, then wipe it off. Most people don't. They just spray and wipe, spray and wipe. So using silver liquid as a spray, you can spray it on your pizza. You can spray it on your hamburger. You can spray it on your steak while it's marinating. It isn't going to cause the flavor to change, but know that if you leave it on a counter and spray on a doorknob, whatever, let it stand for one minute, wipe it off is ideal. But if you spray and wipe immediately, you're still going to get 50% or more of that benefit. But that's just the science behind using disinfectants, which Frankly, we're all going to become pretty expert at here pretty soon, aren't we? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's very true. I also carry your probiotic products. So if you can expand on that um, and the, the, the benefits of, of doing that daily, using that daily. Probiotics mean good, healthy bacteria for the gut. It's important to have the proper balance in there so that we break down our food and absorb it. If we have too much yeast, we produce too much gas, we produce toxins, we damage the intestines. Now, with that in mind, the probiotics that I've put together here, not only have the probiotics, but I have put in here prebiotics. Prebiotics are food for the probiotics with the idea that we want good bacteria to line the intestines but they have to colonize in all the accordion folds of the intestines to be a permanent addition to our overall health. So prebiotics feed the probiotics so that they can colonize and stay in place for a long period of time. I also realize that in the intestines, we have chemical burns. I know that that sounds foreign to you, but when you produce alcohols and fermentation products, it literally can chemically burn the intestine. So I chose turmeric, an antioxidant, to help gather free radical damage and help to healing of the intestine. So we have prebiotics and probiotics, plus turmeric to help heal the wounded intestine. And I know that if you get constipated during this process, 
things will back up, fermentation will take place, alcohols will be produced, and we'll start all over again. So I put in slippery elm, cascara sagrada as fiber to sl make slippery this motion. So we're giving prebiotics to feed the probiotics, turmeric to help heal the wounded intestines, and fiber to move things through quickly. So our probiotics are a system, not just bacteria in a capsule. Mm -hmm. Now, um, there, there are questions that, that arise on the channel about these types of solutions, these silver solutions, how it affects the microbiota. Um, some individuals are saying, well, colloidal, you know, kills the, you know, is, how do you know that colloidal isn't killing the good microbiota versus the bad microbiota? Well, that's um, a really important thing, and it's hard to prove with a scientific paper. So when I presented this to the Naturopathic Association at their convention, what I did was I said, here's the science, here's the studies, here's the necropsies from mice. Now, doctors, here's how you can know this is working. What happens is when a person has an overgrowth of yeast, yeast always produces gases. And in the process of fermentation and gas producing, we deliver more and more and more gas if we eat more and more sugar to feed that yeast. So what you can know in your body when you pay attention to it is, during the first 24 hours of taking this, and you can just take once a day, if you take it twice a day, you'll have less gas produced even quicker. What happens is, immediately you can produce less gas with a probiotic. Number two, silver can destroy the cause of that silver, of that uh, candida, if you will. Now, let's talk about the intestines producing gas from candida. If silver can actually do things for the good and, uh, and promote killing of the bad, what happens there is you will not get diarrhea. So doctors understand when they prescribe penicillin or an antibiotic in that class, what happens is they know the second day people are going to start to develop diarrhea for one reason. Antibiotics kill all the bacteria, good and bad. It results in diarrhea as it leaves the body. When you take silver, even in four times the normal dose, and you don't produce any diarrhea, that's proof to doctors that they, and proof to yourself, that they are not destroying all the good and bad bacteria. Here's why. The liquid silver is terrific because it's water soluble. 99% of this product is structured water, and structured water will not penetrate through fats. This is significant because the bacteria in your gut that's good for you, we call probiotic. It is different than all other bacteria. The good bacteria in your gut secretes its own milk fat coating so it can survive stomach acid. For that reason, the liquid silver cannot penetrate this little M&M-like sugar coating, only it's fat. So think of an M&M, it has a sugar coating a shell protecting the soft chocolate, 
Well, that's what kind of structure that your probiotic bacteria has. The bacteria is inside, self-secretes a fatty coating around itself so that it can survive stomach acid well. Liquid silver is water-based, so it can't penetrate that fatty coating. And by discovery, not by design, I'd love to take credit for that, but we discovered that the water-soluble silver isn't penetrating the fatty coating around the, the good bacteria. So in the process of wiping out the bad bacteria and the bad problems in the gut, they leave the body willingly and they don't have or cause diarrhea because we're not destroying the good bacteria. All right, so, so just to, to, to zero on and make it clear. So there's good bacteria in the, in the, uh, the gut, there's bad bacteria and they have to be at the right concentrations. That's also important. Um, that we have lots of different bacteria and we, we have bacteria, the good bacteria, um, produce actually um, um, a metabolism function. So if, for example, if someone was given antibiotics and we have this diarrhea that takes place, you'll notice that your energy level will start to go down because you need th that, those microbes, those good microbes, to help break down certain uh, chemicals that get into the bloodstream that is then eventually uh, processed in the liver, you know, for downstream, um, you know, effects or, or processing. So uh, that's one sign that it's working, that if your energy levels go up while you're taking this silver product um, and the gases are going down, then that's also, you know, a, 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 a indicator that, it's working and that you have good bacteria that if your energy levels are going up now um, it, it, could you dive in just a little bit more? All right. So we have good bacteria and bad bacteria. The, and there, there's glycoproteins that are, you know, on the, on these bacterias and there's these, these, you know, lipids and stuff. So the, the silver is attacking the bad bacteria, but what, what specifically again is the difference between the, the bad and the good that the silver is targeting? Well, what happens is you've got bad and good identified by what will attack the lining of the intestine. Good bacteria breaks down foods and does not break down the lining of the intestine. The reason why is because it's coating on the outside of that good bacteria is receptor and target sided to not attach and break down the good or the, the intestinal walls. While yeast, for instance, yeast attaches to the intestinal lining, secretes a poison, the poison melts away the top layer of the intestine, then it consumes the slurry. So yeast is called harmful because it's damaging the intestine while it's in there. But realize that yeast does provide a purpose, and that is oftentimes we eat steak or meat that doesn't break down very easily, and yeast can break down really difficult meats into that slurry so that it can be absorbed into amino acids much better. So about 15% of our gut contains harmful or bad uh, bacteria and yeast, while 85% should be good bacteria. With that balance, they've said, that's the optimal way to break down foods, still having this extra component to break down difficult meats and other hard textures. 
uh, of foods. And so your question might also be, well, if it wipes out all the yeast, then we don't have that ability to break down the meat nearly as well. And the answer is, well, yeah, you're correct. But you also have to realize that the lining of the intestines are like accordion folds. And once down and deep in those folds, they can survive anything that comes through. So what we're trying to do is for five days, drink two ounces of liquid silver for five days, wipe out the bad, and then repopulate with this for the next two months. So you've got probiotics preparing that lining. That is nothing more than helping your body heal itself by obtaining or developing that 85 to 15% balance of good versus bad. See, what I was doing was using Dr. Group's products um, where I, I take the, um, the uh, oxy powder and take that for about five days and then repopulate with the probiotic. So it's, it's something similar here. Now, um, for someone that's buying, let's say, the, the, the silver solution, so you're saying that we could use the silver solution as a colon cleansing. A five with day. With the repopulation, with the repopulation with the probiotic. Yes, but the problem is, is if the person's constipated, you're going to need additional fiber or a laxative to help things move through if you're calling it a true cleanse. Silver does not cause diarrhea, so it's not going to do that as well. But the silver is going to go through there, and it is the finest tool we have to naturally destroy the cause of the imbalance so that you can repopulate with the probiotics afterward. Mm -hmm. So if someone's buying the silver solution and it's using it daily, is there any problem with using the probiotic daily? Not at all, but it does make sense to take them an hour separate. Okay. Okay. See, this is important because, you know, there's many people that just, they don't just buy the, the silver solution. They're buying actually a, a package. You know, what I'm noticing with, yeah. with my customers, they're buying the, the extra strength gel, the silver solution, and, um, and the probiotic uh, as a package. I don't sell them as a package, they just buy them as a package. And so I just wanna make sure that people are using the products to their max benefit. So don't just take you know, one silver and then you know, guzzle down the, the liquid and then and pop some you know, probiotics all at the same time. You know, kind but, of like but in New York, it sounds like if you're going to go outside, this is going to be your best friend. And <laughs> right. Not oh. for and, you, and the spray bottle. And the, and spray, the bottle. spray bottle too. <laughs> but this is what I found was we went to a concert the other night and everybody was kind of looking at each other and wondering who was going to cough first, you know, the kind of feeling. And so literally I took one lozenge out, put it in my mouth and five or six faces looked at me really intently. And sure enough, I reached in my pocket and held it out because in reality, I wanted all the people sitting around me to have the silver in their mouth more than me. So I was protected. Right, 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 right. So if you bring these lozenges anywhere, recognize sharing them will protect you as much as you right. protecting them. Right. The herd effect. <laughs> Very right. well put. Right. So um, I, I think that we've covered many of the questions that the, uh, the audience has. Um, but it's always, you know, there's always that, that organizational inertia where, you know, people are used to a certain lifestyle and now they're starting to realize, well, there's products there 
that actually are are available at decent prices that you can use every day to boost your immune system. And that means that you're going to get more energy. We explained why you get the more energy. Um, uh, you know, it, you, you'll, you'll have uh, a, an ability to uh, f- um, um, fight, you know, like a, a pa- pathogenic wave. Um, and you'll just feel better. You'll, you'll, you know, if you're, if you're always sick, you know, you, you, you're, you're grumpy, you're not, you're, you're not, you're not living a full life, but there are products out there that, that people can use every day to boost up their, their, their body, their, their, their body health. Um, so if well, you can expand on that a little bit. Well, what I like to say, and this is, this is my idea uh, of the human body and how it all works together. But the silver has the ability to take the workload off an already overworked immune system. Would you agree our immune systems are totally overworked with the oh, germs air in our water and our foods, antibiotics? Modern society, modern society has brought down our immune system. So um, with that, the one tool we have in natural medicine that helps most is that silver takes away the workload off the immune system so that the second priority of the immune system can be realized. And that is regeneration, rejuvenation, and restoration of the cells. Immune system restores and regenerates and rebuilds. It's the best anti-aging tool we have. It's the immune system. So when we take the workload off the crisis management immune system, we now get rebuilding and restoring. We also see less gas. We see less distension in our bellies. We have better fluids in our sinuses and lungs. We have the ability to have more energy, more focus. These are all simply because of overall balance of wellness is becoming much more pronounced when we use the delivery systems of silver. And we have soap with the, valer- with the uh, ability to give us a little bit of a calming effect. So we've got all these different delivery systems of silver. The purpose is let's take the workload off the immune system. Now, when you take herbal medicines, herbs make the immune system work harder. They stimulate certain cells. They mobilize certain events. So herbs are terrific, but we only can count on them for two weeks. And then we've overworked the immune system and it will crash. So herbs are terrific but they're really not the long-term plan that we need, yet silver is, and it actually allows your herbal medicines to work longer and better because silver is taking the workload off the immune system. There was a question that that arose a couple days ago. There are many people that take zinc as a supplement and magnesium. So is there any uh, uh, issue with taking silver liquid or the gel with taking these supplements because they are they are kind of a a metal no they they interact just fine they work terrific there's actually some complementary benefits Uh, i see especially in wound healing when zinc is combined with silver there's an added benefit there magnesium i think is maybe one of the best minerals 
especially for endurance and getting back vitality. And so, yeah, I would use them in combination. I wouldn't hesitate a bit. They can be mixed together or taken separate. There's not a problem there at all. The only problem you have is if you were to take a handful of powdered salt, put it in your mouth at the same time with the silver, what would happen is the salt would tie up some of the silver particles and you would lessen the benefit of, of silver. So don't worry about salt unless you're eating it by the handful. But salt is the kryptonite for the Superman silver. <laughs> right, right. Okay. That's good. That, that's that's uh, good info there. Now, when I usually get like really sick, you know, if I have like a fluish kind of feel or a cold, I've always been um, boiling water, right? And I put in garlic and fresh ginger, okay, chopped. And it's, it's boiled for a while with lemons, lemon slices, round slices, whole lemon, and, 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 um, and basically boil that for about 20 minutes or so. And I put it in a, a tea and I put uh, turmeric in that. Now, I, do you see, I'm thinking that I should also put the liquid silver in there too at the same time. It's, it's the perfect combination, and here's why. What you've described there is generations of people's ability to say, this works. Number one, I think the water and its boiling effect has the most immediate benefit because the steam goes down in through the sinuses, mouth, throat, lungs, and makes very, very thin and, and smooth um, mucus so that it can come up and out easily. So instead of sticky, pasty mucus lining all of the respiratory tract, you're now mobilizing it so it can come up and out of the body. With that, you're revealing the tissues so that they can have antioxidants delivered. And in nature, antioxidants can reduce free radical damage, which is probably the, the inflammatory response that's going on there as well. And silver comes along, and silver actually deactivates the cause of that inflammation and helps mobilize stem cells for healing. It's a wonderful combination. I, I think, I think uh, you could actually use it in hospitals and get as good a benefit as some of the other tools they're using. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I appreciate your time. Uh, I think we've covered uh, uh, the, the product line that, that we have at the moment. Um, and you've went into a lot of the detailed history, how to use the product, um, some of the questions that d different uh, individuals had on the channel. Um, so I do appreciate your time. Is there any closing uh, comments that you have before we part? Yeah, my very short common sense overview of wellness is the essence of wellness, where every letter in the word essence is a principle of wellness. Eat, sleep, supplement, exercise, neutralize poisons in your environment with silver, clean water, and try to minimize stress. Stress may be one of the biggest problems we have because if you get stressful, we secrete a hormone called cortisol. Cortisol suppresses immune function and causes inflammation where you're using your mouth and voice. And that could be an invitation 
for maybe what's in the air around you. So eat, sleep, supplement, exercise, neutralize poisons, clean water and eliminate stress is my overall essence of wellness. And I know you don't do it all at once, but pick the one you're weakest at. It might be sleep and work on that one this week and maybe the next one next. And overall, you'll improve your overall ability to have a strong immune system. I think that's very important what you just said, the, the, the holistic approach, because it's, it's not just one quick thing. It's not a silver bullet, right? You know, that just solves everything. Very you know? nice. And there's a, there's a pun, there's pun intended there. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, but, uh, but there's, uh, you know, there's a holistic approach. And uh, when people start thinking holistically, they'll actually see that their life is actually getting, is improving and getting better. So I appreciate your time and your knowledge and your, your, uh, your care for, for helping people. It, it's greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Yeah, I appreciate you giving up some time to do this, man. Thank you. I'm a busy guy. <laughs> yeah. So are you ready to go? Can I introduce you? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So some people have asked me to get different perspectives on the coronavirus situation. We've got Dr. Paul Cottrell on right now. I know it's going to be controversial for some people. Having done a cursory look at the history of pandemics and viruses, I can see how these things jump from pigs to birds to horses and back and forth and mutate. And I believe that something would have come out of the animal world and hit humankind like this anyway. I've also looked at the fact that there was a level four bioweapons lab in Wuhan where they were experimenting on this kind of stuff uh, in preparation for vaccines. So it is paramount, I think, that people look at all of the different angles. And that's what we're doing on this channel, trying to get people on to give the expertise. So appreciate you coming on, Paul. Could you just say what your background is and what your interest in this subject is, please? Mm -hmm. Well, I, uh, I have an undergrad degree um, at Wayne State University, an MBA in finance, also at Wayne State University. I have a PhD at Walden University specializing in finance, um, algorithmic trading, artificial intelligence using uh, dynamic hedging. And then, um, then uh, basically when I was doing my dissertation, my brother passed away from heart disease at an early age, 30, 36 years old. Oh, so after I finished my, my PhD, I decided to go into medicine. So to go into medicine, you have to do a pre-med program. So I did my pre-med program at uh, Fordham University in New York, where I live, New York City. And then um, I'm finishing up my master's in biology at Harvard University. And then, uh, then I'll be going to medical school. So I wanted to go into, you know, cardiac, you know, cardiac surgery because of what happened to my brother. But um, <clears throat> what interested me with this uh, particular uh, situation was my coursework at, at Harvard dealt with bioinformatics and studying uh, genomic sequences. I did a work in, in um, um, cancer at, at Harvard also, uh, molecular biology. So I just had a, just a just an interest. So when they published the sequence, 
uh, from China on the Wuhan, the Wuhan virus, um, I would just had just an intellectual interest to look at the NIH database because we were trained to use that database and do blast search searches based on our bioinformatic coursework. So I just was just had that interest in it. So I said, well, what would it look like? So it, it's about uh, 30,000 base pair RNA virus that was sequenced. And when you do a blast search, you can see other organisms that have similar homology. Well, when I did that, voila, what came out was 20 different, different um, SARS or bat SARS-like viruses that, that match the Wuhan. And because of my information uh, or my knowledge in molecular biology, we learn on how to do um, bioengineering, you know, with, with viruses, uh, uh, plasmids to do lab research, cancer research or, you know, studying bacteria or whatever, because that's, that's what happens in a, in a, bio, you know, in a uh, molecular biology lab. Well, I could see right away that they took the best of both worlds. We had a bat SARS-like virus and a SARS virus. And uh, the bat SARS virus uh, had um, a better replicase, which allows you to uh, multiply the proteins and the RNA within the cell, and the SARS that had the better S-spike protein. And you could see huge chunks being copy-pasted into the genome of the Wuhan. Uh, at that time, we only had five uh, sequences from, from China. Uh, now we have many more because it's spread over the world and, you know, each area has been sequencing their own. So we have a minimum of 35 Wuhan strands. And then we have one sequence that's called RATG13 that seems to be a, been a branch off of the Wuhan. Um, then there was a paper that came out uh, shortly after I did that, uh, early February. So I did all this stuff um, late, ja late January. I started January 25th. I did another one, another, uh, analysis on, on January 27th and our early February was when the Indian researchers said, uh, well, there's, there's HIV homology in the spike protein. So I went into the NIH database, looked at the, the sequence. You can look at RNA sequences or protein sequences. So I looked at the protein sequences and saw the four insertions at the S uh, protein or the spike protein. And uh, that is the protein for ones that don't know that actually docks into a receptor. So at that time, we knew that it was going to dock into the ACE2 receptor. So that paper kind of focused on the four uh, insertions, uh, HIV homology. I saw it, confirmed it. Um, fast track, you know, to just about a week ago, talking about the RATG13, uh, that also has the HIV homology. And that's why we think it, that's, that, that's spun off of Wuhan. There is a little bit of stochastic changes um, uh, in the RATG13 for the gag insertion of the HIV, um, but it's almost exact for the glycoprotein 120. So at that time, you know, it was like, whoa, something's not right here. This was bioengineered, 
Um, and then while trying to investigate why was it bioengineered, you can kind of see in the literature going all the way back to 2010, maybe as far back as 2008, them building this up in the different research labs and different people were publishing and they wanted to understand why the bat is the, the, the natural host. So they kind of supercharged this virus to understand what's going on in, in the natural kingdom. So when someone says it's bioengineered, it doesn't mean bioweapon, but that doesn't mean that they can't use it as a bioweapon. So probably what happened, I think, because there's you know, uh, Francis Boyle, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, 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 Boyle has said, well, maybe it was sold and it's a bioweapon. I think this is what happened. In 2000, around 2010, they were starting to, to modify this, this and, and, and add chunks and build this, what we'll call the Wuhan virus, okay? Probably around 2015, there was probably a split. Well, you still had, let's say, scientific discovery, scientific bioengineering. There probably was a split around 2015 where it went black op. And so you might, ha you might have had a scientific study and then this more bioweapon development thing that, that's going on. Uh, I've been more focused on the scientific one because I at least can track that in the literature. So you can't, you're not going to be able to track a, a, a black op, uh, you know, you know, weapon system. But um, that's, you know, that's basically, you know, what happened. And over time, I've been able to, this, looking at other research papers and other individuals that have been helping me on, on my on my YouTube channel. I kind of have a little army of 34,000 people, you know, helping. Um, so it's a team effort. Uh, but there are multiple receptors. It's not just ACE2. There are many receptors that have been recently discovered that this could utilize and why there is some disparities on infection rates around the world. And that explains like some... Some uh, ethnicities will upregulate different receptors, not just ACE2. So, and that's, I think, the, the part of the explanation why we're seeing the explosion of, of uh, infections, let's say in Iran and in, in Italy. It's not just, it's, it's a very complex problem. It's not just, it's not just uh, receptor upregulation, it's also sociological, how we behave in a society but not all those factors are equally weighted. So, you know, and I think in the mainstream, they, they've been focused on more of the sociological reasons, um, how people behave in a society uh, and why it was spreading. But I think that there is a, a very big uh, biological component that's different, dealing with the upregulation of the receptors. So some of your scientific vernacular has flown over my head. I imagine it has to some of my viewers as well. HIV oh, homology. <laughs> what what does HIV homology mean? Okay, so basically what it means is that the the HIV virus, uh, one of the viruses of HIV dash one, uh, is the known virus that get you know is AIDS, right? So um, that is a retrovirus. Coronavirus is not a retrovirus. They're both RNA viruses, 
but their mechanisms and how they work inside the cell when they're infected are totally different, totally different. But you can take bits and pieces of one genome and supercharge it in another. So what they did was they, they took the glycoprotein 120, which is the spike protein of HIV, pieces of it, and put it into the spike protein for coronavirus. Now, what that means is, is that it allowed uh, certain charges, um, proteins are neutral. So when you have a sequence of amino acids, you'll have these like minors, you know, um, or what we call partial charges, partial negative, partial positive charges. And then your receptor will have the same kind of partial, partial charges around there. So if they're opposite, and when they dock, if they're opposite enough, then it docks well. So it's not just the topology, but it's also the, the, the opposite charges have to be correct for it to dock correctly in, in, into the receptor to come into the cell. So um, if you have four inserts, three of them coming for the, glyco, uh, the, the glycoprotein 120, which is the spike protein of HIV, okay, virus. Three separate insertions plus one insertion for GAG, which is tied into the capsid uh, assembly. For that to happen zoonotically is very rare. One insertion, maybe two, yeah, that might be zoonotic, but four, and then I, I kept on like going, what's going on with the white blood cell drop on some of these patients? Well, we have, we, there are researchers that have found, and I published on, on my, my YouTube site, that it's not just the ACE2 receptor, but it involves something called DC uh, sign and L sign. They're two different, re, two different receptors. Uh, L sign receptor is a major receptor for HIV docking of its, of its spike protein, which is GP120, which is part of the inserts, the three inserts that are in the coronavirus. So what am I saying? I'm saying that there are bits and pieces of HIV that supercharges the spike protein in the coronavirus that docks not only in ACE2, but also docks on L-sign receptor, which is also called CD299. And that is a major receptor for HIV. So do you think that this was released accidentally then? 65% of, 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 let's say, the, the scientific hat would say it was accidentally released from the P4 facility. It, it was definitely released by the P4 facility. The question is, was it released on accident or on purpose? 65% of, 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 let's say, the intellectual pursuit here would say it was accidental uh, due to poor safety protocols. But there's a 35% chance that it was done on purpose. Um, if you if it was done on purpose, what do you suspect the motive would be? That's a dark road. That's a really dark road. And um, I'd rather 
assume that it was done on accident. But if it was done on purpose, um, it may be program calling of the population. Um, uh, and it, instituting um, a like a one health government, uh, you know, there's this one world government. If, if people pay attention to Agenda 21 or Agenda 30, part of that agenda is what they call one health. And one health is a global health. And then if you if you if you subscribe to the idea that it was purposely released that and you look at how the the who has basically placated to china kind of kowtowed to china afraid to question china and, and and their their numbers and how they treated this early on in wuhan um it makes you think that they are rolling out some sort of one you know one health agenda that's a subset of Agenda 21, Agenda 30. Um, so it, it's I, it's probably a, a globalization play. So if it is engineered like this, looking at previous pandemics, Spanish flu lasted over a year, bubonic plague lasted five years. Do you expect this will mutate and there will be further waves? If we look at the epidemiological curves of the Spanish flu of 1918, uh, there was a um, there there were multiple waves. There was you know a, a primary wave, a secondary wave, and a, and a smaller tertiary wave. Um, that's the best evidence, the best proxy that we have of what this would probably be. Now the Spanish flu was zoonotic. This is not zoonotic. So the dynamics, it might be a fallacy to use that as a as a proxy. All right. I do know this, there are multiple receptors and I called it pinballing. So if one receptor loses affinity, normally, let me backtrack, normally when a, when a virus is newly introduced in a population, you'll have a spike in, in activity and then it'll start to die down. It's called attenuation. So as it's attenuating through the population, it starts to weaken. The reason why is the replicase isn't very good because viruses don't have um, like proofreading mechanisms like we have. Higher higher organisms have more proofreading mechanisms as it's multi, as it's duplicating its 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 genome. So the replicase makes lots of mistakes. So there's lots of mutations, but through natural selection, it it can either become very virulent. Or it can normally, normally, viruses will attenuate in the population and just kind of live within the population and not just kill everything off, right? I mean, someone could just do the mind experiment. Ebola is very deadly, but it dies off so quickly that it can't learn to live in the population. Now, my fear is because there's so many receptors that this can can deal with, all right? It can deal with ACE2, it can deal with GRP 78, it can deal with CD 147, it can deal with uh, CD 209 and CD 299 and maybe others um, that it'll pinball, where it'll attenuate from one, lose affinity, let's say ACE2, but gain affinity later down the road for, let's say, CD 147. And 
So my concern here is, is that, yes, there will be a secondary wave and a tertiary wave, but my, but my real worry is, is that it stays dormant for five or six years and then gains function and virulence and pops back up just like how it is right now, five or 10 years later. And so, there, that's, that's my bigger concern. I'm more concerned about what's gonna happen five or 10 years later than actually right now. So in the mainstream and even on Joe Rogan, we've seen doctors get interviewed who are convinced it crossed over from animals. Are there other people in the scientific and medical community that you're working with that are corroborating your perspective? Well, here, here's the thing is you can look at it three different ways. You can look at it from a, a bio, bioinformatic way, a purely statistical way, and, and the paper trail. And all three vectors point to the same conclusion, and that is it was bioengineered. And let me give you, I explained on how it was bioinformatic where there's huge copies, all right? You're talking, when I say huge copies, I'm talking about 2,000 nucleotide. And it took the best of both worlds. They took the best from bat SARS-like and put in 2,000 nucleotide paste. And then about a little bit more than 500 nucleotide paste for the spike protein from SARS. And then they, they put a cherry on the top with the, the four inserts of HIV. For all those things to be zoonotic, if you look at it from the, the statistical point of view, that would mean that a bat would have to have bat SARS-like virus, SARS virus, and AIDS to have them tra translocate. It's called translocation. For them to accidentally chunks be put in to to the genome then then it being at a p4 lab that's next to a fish market if you add all of that up you know it's probability it's it, it, it you got to times it each one of those things it's like 0.0001% chance that all of these things could have been zoonotic so could it been zoonotic? Yes, but the probability is so low that you, that scientific to be sci scientifically honest, you would have to assume that it is bioengineered. So that's just the pure statistics of it. Okay, if you look at the bi the bioinformatic of the genomes, you can see the big copy paste. I mean, it's very anyone that you don't even have to have a molecular biology knowledge or bioinformatic knowledge. You just see the genomes and you can see the copy paste. All right. So you got two vectors that are pointing to bioengineering because when you see something that zoonotically is changing and then and it gains function, you, you see it's stochastic, but you don't get these big chunks in the two most important areas of the genome, the replicase and the spike protein that doesn't happen zoonotically with HIV. No. So, um, and then if you look at the paper trail, you can see that Dr. Uh, Pyong Zhao and others were using bat SARS-like and SARS virus to um, understand how the bat host was the host. What was, 
what was the what was the biological mechanism and how the virus could go underneath the radar of the immune system to live with the host. So they can design therapeutics um, or vaccines for SARS, because this is SARS. This is this virus is SARS. And a lot of people don't say they, it's, you know, they say COVID-19. COVID-19 is the disease. Okay. What, what is the disease? SARS-CoV-2. This is SARS. And, and it's not really, it's not projected in the news, but in the, the scientific nomenclature of this virus that we're dealing with is SARS. And we know how scared and deadly that is. And they, su they supercharged it in the lab to study it. Okay. Now, maybe in 2015, there was a black op. And we don't know because there's no way we could paper trail that. But if you look at the paper trail of how they were building this up in the in the in the in the literature and, and and publishing how the bat is the host and how SARS works, you can see this developing. You can see how this was being engineered through all, you know, not all, but a lot of different labs around the world, Canada, the United States, and in, in, in China. So you can see the literature using this as kind of a model. So it's not out of the, the realm of possibility that this is that this is bioengineered. This is I, so I'm I'm looking at three separate vector points, and they're all the three separate vectors, and they're they're all pointing to the same the same conclusion: bioengineered. I wish it wasn't, but it is. It is. This is it, yeah. It is bizarre that they had the, the level four weapons lab in Wuhan experimenting on this, and then the outbreak is there. Definitely bizarre. Um, and but, your, but here's a, here's another point. Here's another point, though. A lot of a lot of researchers that have a lab, they get grants from the government. All right, and they don't want to say something that might that might tip the apple cart for for their research. You know, so people need to to. Say, you know, think that well, people that are saying that it, that it's zoonotic, where is their funding coming from? And a lot of that funding that that that, that are say, that that are saying it's zoonotic, that that saying that it's zoonotic, is usually coming from government funding. And the governments need the, they they you know they need this they need this funding to maintain their their lab. But not only that, the government needs their lab to possibly do the black ops. So, I mean, there's a symbiotic, the point I'm making is there's a symbiotic relationship between the government and these individuals saying it's zoonotic. Because if people, if, if people wake up and realize what has been going on in the, some of these research labs and the protocols and the ethics issues that are, that are happening, um, it, may shut the, it may shut it down. People might See, the problem is, is that the, the average citizen doesn't fully understand what is going on in these labs and how they are, how they're manipulating genomes and how, you know, how deadly these things could be. A, a, a P4 or a BSLA, a BSL4 lab, that's a deadly, that's, that's a deadly pathogen. So, um, you know, I, I, unfortunately, the, the, the scientific level baseline um, for our society is relatively low in, in, in this particular discipline. So if that was released accidentally or maybe even intentionally, 
wouldn't that be a declaration of war on the US and my country? Yeah, yeah. And this is what, you know, this is what, see, here's, if you go down the, the road of it was, uh, on, if you go down the road that it was purposely released, who purposely released it and why? You know, was it Western society that had a, a mole in the P4 lab and leaked it out to try to weaken the Chinese to pull down the CCP? Maybe, because the CCP has already published that one, they wanted to do espionage with the Thousand Talent Plan that was published in 2008. A Harvard professor was caught with espionage with that and some graduate students in, in Boston. Um, uh, researchers in, in uh, Canada were caught with uh, stealing, you know, stealing um, uh, material. So maybe it was the Western uh, countries that try to weaken the, the Chinese, but I don't think that's I don't think that's the case. Um, maybe it was a dissident that was trying to pull down the CCP that's actually Chinese. Um, it's possible. Miles uh, Go, I mean, he he seems to be a, per, a you know a potential character in this, uh, you know, and he seemed to have a, some inside information before things started leaking out of of Wuhan on what was going on. So that's why I'm saying there's something something's going on with the CCP, some sort of trying to overthrow or something like that. Is it potential that the Chinese leaked it on their own population, knowing? that maybe some of these receptors are more upregulated in Caucasians, because they are. DC sign and L sign are more upregulated in Caucasians than Asians. But ACE2 is, it seemed as though that, that um, uh, more males will uh, have it than females. Um, early, early investigation was saying that Asian males have more ACE2, but I, that still hasn't been fully, fully explored. I think the, the power of that study is a little low, but it's possible that these receptors that we're talking about, oh, we may be white males, may actually be more susceptible to, to this than any other ethnicity or sex. So uh, if the Chinese knew this, uh, they could have done this, leak it out, leak it out into the population first in China. It would spread around the world. When we start getting sick in the Western world, they would be starting to get better and it would allow them to institute their 2025 plan, which is to control the first island chains and thinking that the United States would be sick, they, would, they wouldn't be able to fight a a uh, a Pacific battle, um, but that's speculative. I mean, there I don't ha I don't have any scientific proof. That's more kind of like game, you know, more like war gaming, Pentagon war gaming, than anything else. Um, uh, I that's why I said sixty five percent of of my of my uh, thinking was that it was accidentally released from the P four lab, definitely bioengineered. I have no doubt it was bioengineered. 
But the question really is, is why did it leak out? But I, I, I just for my own sanity, I would prefer <laughs> that it was accidental because it's a really dark road if, if it was on purpose. And who did it? You know, was it a CIA black op operation to pull down the CCP? Was it um, was it a globalization move? To, you know, to try to institute this One Health and an enforced vaccination program. On my channel, I've been, I look at this problem uh, multifaceted. It's, it's the scientific, the biological, you know, the pathogenic kind of pillar. There is the financial pillar, and then there is the, the sovereignty pillar, all right, or, you know, the, the legality pillar. And I'm seeing that, one, it's, it's devastating for our own health, but it's also devastating to the economy. I mean, we're, we're going to go into depression. I mean, the whole world will go into a depression. We haven't seen anything like this before. It's like 1929 with Spanish flu all at once, right? And we have a much more interconnected world and everything is, you know, uh, computerized where everything happens faster. So everything is going to fall quicker. So we're going to go into a depression, I think. Um, and then my concern is, is that it, it created such havoc in the economy that a lot of countries will say, we can't have that financial hardship again, so we're going to do a forced vaccination program. See, if you notice the, the nomenclature, COVID-19, how they name it, it's already programming in our mind that there'll be a COVID-20 and a COVID-21. And a COVID-22. So you got to go get your vaccination to make sure you save that economy. This is a war against coronavirus. See, see, we're already being programmed in the media to start thinking that once that messenger RNA platform is proven out for the vaccine uh, for, for, for this virus, um, I'm concerned that it will have forced vaccinations or you can't go to work. And it's that's the, the easiest, fa that's the fastest way. That's the fastest way to get compliance. It's interesting that you've got a financial background. Every day, I used to work in the stock market. Every day I'm getting messages from people saying, should we buy the stock market here? And I'm saying, that's catching falling daggers. Don't do it. And every, every day it's, it's going lower and lower. The average bear market lasts about nine months. So do you, you saying you're seeing like a full scale uh, depression scenario Mm. Housing prices collapsing, uh, interest rates collapsing. Uh, could you just expand a little bit more on what, what the time frame sure, sure. Is, is there? Sure, and, sure. Um, and, and if there's like a second and a third wave, I mean, we're already at the brink of collapse now. If there's a second, more virulent wave, where would that leave the global economy? Well, I believe that this whole duration of this, of this virus or viruses, because it's probably multiple, um, is going to last 18 to 20 months. And that's basically what happened with the Spanish flu of 1918. Okay. Um, but we have a bioengineered one. So it's probably going to be more virulent in the second in the, the secondary and tertiary wave. That's my guess. It could attenuate, but my guess is it'll be more virulent. Um, because there's multiple receptors, it'll lose affinity for one and gain affinity for another. Um, the the market, I, I look at the S&P 500 because I'm in the States. So it's 500 stocks. It's 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 that, you know, it has a 
it's diversified so you get a good cross-section of the economy versus let's say the Dow 30, which you don't have a good cross-section of the economy. When you look at the VIX index, the VIX index, we hit in this period, uh, we hit about 82 on the VIX. Now people that trade realize that that's a lot. So there is such a thing as acute um, risk and chronic, uh, you know, elevated risk. Now we've had a lot of things that have happened in the last 20, 30 years. We had uh, the Gulf War, you know, Desert Storm. We had this, the, the, um, the, the tech bubble. We had 9-11. We had the Afghan war and the Iraq war and Syria. These were all, you know, and then we had Lehman. These were all periods of really uh, 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 elevated ri uh, elevated risk in the stock market with higher higher VIX levels, but out of all those, only Lehman gave us an eighty. I think it was an eighty nine on the VIX. That's very high, and we know what happened with the Lehman crash and 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 housing prices and everything here. So those other events were more. They weren't. They were more acute. They weren't chronic. Lehman was chronic, where it was elevated risk for a long time. So normally risk, it, it spikes for a day or two and then comes back down. It's called heterocydastic. So it comes up and then comes down and then it spikes again another two months or three months, comes back down. So that's when we say buy the dip, right? That's what we mean, you know? But when it's chronic, you start having liquidity problems. Where a lot of assets, maybe not all, but the majority of assets are all, the, the majority of the assets are falling. So it's very hard to, to position yourself in the economy. So all markets are becoming in disequilibrium or in a, a chaotic attraction, if you want to use uh, terms in, in chaos theory. But um, the VIX is elevated. And the last time we've seen that was Lehman. No matter how much the Federal Reserve or the central banks pump into the economy, it's not going to force people to spend more when we're forced to stay at home or we're sick. The virus doesn't care about the central bank. There's no transmission mechanism. Biology does not care about finance. Right? So uh, because of that, we're not going to be able to, to, to stop the fall until the, this pandemic is fixed on, the, on, on, the, on the, the medical side, on the clinical side of this. Because of that, I believe home prices will start to fall. We're going to have 50% un, unemployment. Um, this is going to last for 18 to 20 months because of the secondary and tertiary wave. Um, and I'm very worried and, and of the creeping socialism that is starting to happen. You can see it in the news where it's like, okay, here's $1,000 a month. Here is, you know, these massive bailouts. If, you, if, you, if you're familiar with Ayn Rand and Atlas Shrug, almost, it's almost like it's being played out. What happened in that book is like sort of happening today. You had 
billionaires just or or you know just kind of going missing <laughs> you know there's this idea of a new coin which we might call in in in, in our terms maybe decaching you know uh there is this um you know uh, uh a collapse of the society and you know and government's coming in to try to you know create these all these socialistic programs I, alice shrug is like almost like a a prophetic you know vision of what we're living through today not exactly but i mean there's a lot of similarities so i'm concerned about this, the creeping socialism um and you know because because of that it's we're not gonna we're not gonna have that capitalistic society that we may actually have quote a new normal but it ain't capitalism it, it may be socialism you know and how that what happens with decaching with with what it what will happen is it's like, well, we have bills and coins. Well, now everyone's afraid of of COVID-19 or COVID-20 or 21. So we're told we got to get rid of cash and we got to get rid of coins. But then you're permanently in the banking system. It's almost like the banks need us to, you know, they need that, they need that bail. It's called the bail in, right? That That's what. And that's what decaching really is, is bailing in the banks. Um, so there's a lot of problems. But I, I suspect that the S&P 500 will go down to 17, 1700. Um, and we're and that will be the the I'll reevaluate to see if it goes down more or not. But I, I would not buy until it hits 1700 with, you know, with a with a reevaluation to see if it's if it's worth it. But, you know, right now it's around uh, twenty three hundred. Um, so it's not going to take that much longer to fall to that with the reevaluation. Now, maybe we're lucky. Maybe we're lucky. This is with the assumption that there's going to be a secondary and tertiary wave with with a lot of deaths and a lot of a lot of um, infections. I'm expecting one hundred sixty five million people being infected in the United States. And I, you know, I've been throwing out like really big numbers that people like, are you crazy? In 20 months, I believe 165 million people will be infected. Five, six of those will be mild. One six will be severe. 25% of those will die. Well, if you work out the numbers, it's about 6.9 million people in the United States because of that. The health will have complications from COVID-19 and die from it. That's because they're obese, they have diabetes, they have heart disease, they have kidney problems, yada, yada, yada. So um, that's going to have a devastating economic um, um, component, too. So we're going to we're it, this thing is going to echo. You know, once we're done with the path, once we're done with the pathogen, this is going to echo for years and, you know, in, into the into the economy before we come back up. You know, we're, we call the green shoots, you know, Bernanke called it the green shoots. We're talking years before we see a green shoot if it's at this severity. But if we're lucky and that there is a therapeutic, you know, there's some talk about this chloroquine. Um, uh, you know, being a potential therapeutic uh, when it's used in conjunction with uh, antibiotics uh, before remdesivir or a, a vaccine is developed. 
if we're lucky and we can slow that R not value of of spreading this virus because it's around four to six, depending on the data that you look at. Um, if we can slow that down and bring it down to one or less, then we can one not have as much damage to the economy and potentially have an attenuated secondary and tertiary wave. But I, you know, we got to be really lucky. It's not out of the possibility. We could, we, we might get lucky with it, but um, you know, the worst case in the United States, 6.9 million people die and we're in a depression and we're not getting out of this for about five years. Best case, uh, we, you know, are 18 months into this thing, um, and we have so much of, of a control with it, and we're talking about maybe hundreds, hundreds of thousands, millions of people infected, and maybe hundreds of thousands that that die from it, um, which is, I think, the the best case. Um, but that's only if we're lucky with that chloroquine or some other therapeutic. Do you think the death toll will be exacerbated because we've outsourced drug production and medical equipment production to China and that basically now the home economies need to convert their industries into manufacturing those ventilators and the oxygen and, and providing everything else so that the intensive care units aren't overwhelmed? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a realization that Western cultures have been outsourcing for, pro you know, some sort of profit maximization to lower cost centers. Um, we, we have, we have outsourced way too much our, our economies to potential enemies, right? Just to make sure that we're making, you know, a quarter pro, you know, that, that quarter profit, the quarterly profit. So, um, yeah, it's a ma it's a major problem, and I, we're starting to see when Trump became president, we started to see manufacturing slowly coming back into the United States. Uh, I don't think anyone had any idea on how much of our pharmaceuticals were being created in India and in China. I mean, really important, you know, pharmaceuticals that you know are life saving, you know, and when that supply chain is disrupted either because of geopolitical issues or because of this pathogenic issue, um, Congress started waking up. Uh, uh, we have a senator uh, in Florida, his name's Rubio, who was uh, a chairman of one of the committees. And he was really drilling um, you know, down during the hearing, you know, saying, hey, we need to bring the, the, these, you know, these uh, um, uh, pharmaceuticals back in, into the United States for manufacturing and also the ventilators. Um, I was surprised that, you know, that it was, it's hard to, to, to be manufacturing these things in the United States. I mean, it's just, it, we have, we have outsourced way too much, way too much. And it's, it's time to bring it back home. And it's, it's, it's this idea when I was, when I had my, when I did my MBA, we were taught shareholder maximization you know, uh, complex supply chain management, you know, design in the United States, manufacture in three different areas of the world and, you know, have it assembled and shipped. And it, you know what, it's a, that's a fragile system when you're talking about just in time, there's, you know, they, they squeezed out the redundancy for profit, 
but you need redundancy when to absorb shocks. I mean, would you drive your car on a road that, that has a bunch of potholes with no shock absorbers? Mm -hmm. No, of course not. But that's basically what we did with our economy. We took the shock absorbers off, saying that the cost of shock absorbers is too much. That's what, what happened. Mm -hmm. And now we hit a major pothole and that car, we, we, you know, we, we hit that, we got that, 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 that G force from that. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, you know, living through it, but we need redundancy. If you look at biological systems, there's redundancy when it's making chemicals in the cell and communicating with other tissues there's, and it recycles, but you need that, does that redundancy. You need that ability to, to absorb exogenous shocks or endogenous shocks. But I mean, you need those shock absorbers. Um, it, it's, a, it's a sad state that the Western civilization's in. And um, I, the, the problem is because, you know, you, you know about finance too. Uh, those analysts on Wall Street or even, you know, even in, in London, you know, they, they, they do those, those conference calls and they say, well, your top line isn't, you know, growing fast enough and you're not cutting your costs enough. So we're going to, you know, cut our expectations, your EPS, earnings per share down. And, you know, so it pushes the CFO and the, the CEO to reduce the shock, the shock absorber. So it's the analysts that are part of the problem. They also, you know, they, they, they might be also the solution too, because we're starting to realize that profit maximization costs. Just because you you squeeze the costs out and now you have quarterly, you know, more quarterly profits, you're going to pay it in the end when there is this, this catastrophic thing that happens because you created a more fragile system. So... Uh, you know, they cause the problem, but they can be also part of the solution by saying, well, what happens if you do have these shocks? How are you going to how how are you going to uh, uh, adapt? And it forces uh, going back to having a redundancy within the, the just in time system. So um, but it is a problem. I, I totally agree with you. And if China decided to say, you know what, we're not going to give you your your medicines because we don't like you. Well, tell that to grandma who needs the heart medication, and then she dies because China didn't want to give it. You know. So in conclusion then, on this channel I've been saying, whether it was um, from a weapons lab or whether it was from the animal world, the main focus should be on preparedness. And what advice do you have for people watching this video how to minimize damage to themselves? Well, let's start to be, to be honest in the United States, in certain regions of the country, it's almost too late. It's almost too late because we're already in what they call shelter in place. So you can and there's there are rationing, you know, there, there's rationing going on food. You know, I, I live in Manhattan. Food is starting to run out. It's certain stores, not all grocery stores, but like uh, Whole Foods, which is which is a big grocery store chain here. Uh, they're running out of food. People are starting to, to hoard. So there's there's quotas on what you can what you can buy. There's rationing there. Um, toilet paper and, and paper products is running out. 
But in other areas of the United States, they don't have that problem or as, as severe yet. But in the high density areas, they do. So uh, it's a, almost a little too late, let's say in Manhattan. But you, you need, it looks like the shelter in place that's happening in the United States is going to last anywhere from uh, uh, 14 days to 30 days. But, you know, they, they, they use the term for the foreseeable future. Now, what does that mean? We don't really know, all right? So you need at least four weeks of food in your, in your home. Um, but it's possible that we're locked down for eight weeks. You know, people are telecommuting, but, you know, there's lots of layoffs and people are worried that they're not going to be able to afford their mortgages or rent, you know, so they're cutting expenses and stuff and they don't have the they don't have the funds for preparation. So it's a big problem now. That's why I said it's kind of a little too late for some regions, for some people. But having four weeks of food is really important in toiletries. Um, but for. Uh, the um, if you're sick, you need to try to get medical care, all right? Because the doctors and nurses will have much more potent medicines, the antivirals, um, the antibiotics. They have a much more potent um, uh, medicines that one can get. But when the medical system starts to break down, and we're already hearing signs of it in the United States, um, You'll only have the homeopathic to, to lean on if you can't see a doctor. So making sure that you, you know, are stocked up on your vitamins, your minerals, your, you know, your anti-inflammatory, you know, type um, homeopathic remedies like uh, turmeric's, um, you know, um, you know, the vitamin C's. Um, that's important for just overall health. But if you're sick, I, I analyzed a paper, all right, a while back, about four or five weeks ago with some researchers that are in Europe. And it was dealing with uh, terpenoids and, and lignoids. And there were 22 compounds that had uh, in vitro, which is outside the body, um, uh, proof that it killed off uh, coronaviruses all right now there are different types of coronaviruses okay we're dealing with a SARS version okay there's a MERS there's a SARS there's the everyday benign you know coronavirus but what's unique about them is is that there 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 is a um, an area of the genome where it's conserved and it's called the the 3CL protease part of the genome well, if you have a protease inhibitor and you have a conserved region for all these coronaviruses, if you inhibit that, you slow down the replication. So these terpenoids and lignoids will, are protease inhibitors, but they're lower dose than the protease inhibitors that the doctor can provide. But um, there are off-the-shelf nutraceuticals or homeopathics that people can buy that have these compounds in it. And one of them is forskolone, the other is relora, calendula, uh, birch bark extract, and licorice root. If you get those, 
and they're still available, let's say like on Amazon or other, you know, um, uh, health food stores, that will help if you can't get to a doctor. I'm not saying it's a cure, and I'm not saying that it's better than what you're going to get from a doctor. What I'm saying is, is it's, it's something is better than nothing when you're sick. Um, making sure that you have filtered water, drinking fresh water, stay away from the, the fluoride type waters. That it, That is an endocrine disruptor. So um, having filtered water and, and I, I take iodine supplements um, to just have a healthy thyroid. But those are the things that you can do anti-inflammatory to make sure that you reduce that cytokine storm in that second wave um, and the protease inhibitors that are in natural supplements or, 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 or you know, nutraceuticals that one can get that I just mentioned. Um, are ways to, you know, and, and other antivirals that are in the homeopathic world that people know about. Thieves oil is another one. So um, those are things that people can get. It's not a cure, but it's at least uh, a tool in the toolbox that people can use to try to help with fighting this pathogen. Uh, boosting up your immune system with, uh, with um, products like uh, nano silver or um, structured silver. Um, sometimes you, people can buy products that are that have this nano silver in a gel or in a liquid form that is known to boost your immune system. And if you have a health, if you have a boost immune system or a, a supported immune system, um, you are able to fight pathogens better. If you have a weakened immune system, obviously you'll get sicker more often. So the key is, you know, try to get as healthy as you can before you get hit by it. It's like a charged battery. If it's fully charged and then you get hit by the virus, you know, it goes down like this. But if your immune system is already low and then you get hit by the virus, you just don't have the energy to fight it. So it's it's preparation in that, in that regard too. So in the description box below this video are links to your YouTube channel and links to all of your socials. If people want to get a hold of you, what is your preferred method, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube? Um, the best way is um, actually on my website. They, they can, you know, they, they can uh, just hit the contact button and, and then write an email and then, you know, I look at that. Okay. I appreciate so your time. Appreciate your time. As a disclaimer, I'd just like to say that I am not a doctor. Um, if you do have a medical situation, I urge you to consult a range of experts, not just get one expert opinion. Also, some of the people watching this video may find it extremely controversial or upsetting if they've lost people to the coronavirus already. And to those people, I just say on this channel, we're just trying to get people on with a range of perspectives so we can come to a more informed decision to better our own preparedness for what the whole world is suffering through right now. And if you've got any other guests you would like me to interview who have perspectives similar or the opposite to what you've heard today, I will be happy to have those people on the channel as well. Just um, email over some contact details. So thank you very much for your time. And um, wh whatever's going down in your neighborhood, I hope it doesn't get too heavy. And um, yeah, it's, 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 I mean, we, we, we started the lockdown where, where we have 100% non-essential workers in the state of New York are told not to work, not to go to work.
and not everyone can tell a you know commute you know and and or telework so um the layoffs are you're just starting to see um layoffs happening in new york city uh and we have about 23,000 restaurants that are affected 23,000 restaurants i mean that's a lot there's a lot of people that are employed in that you know in bars and that sort of thing so so it's 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 going to affect the economy for sure all right, you take care, Paul, and I'll get this posted tomorrow. All right, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you it. very much again. Cheers. Thank you. Okay, bye bye. Cheers, bye. Hello, this is Dr. I've been asked many times why I didn't bug out out of New York City. As everyone knows, we're in shelter in place for the foreseeable future, whatever that means. But some people, but some people, in their core, core, in their DNA, don't run. They, they stay in their ground. They fight. They fight. They don't give up. They don't give up. They don't go running high. They protect them. They protect them. They're not part of the, the sheeple, as people like to say in today's nomenclature. Just like the firefighters, like the firefighters. They, didn't they didn't run during 9 11. They climbed those stages. So these people that, that say, oh, just bug out. Protect yourself. Protect yourself. I don't think I want to be in any place other than where I am right now. At the epicenter in the United States. Because this is where we stand our ground. This is what makes us America. We're going to work together to fight this deadly disease and we'll get past this but but this is not just to the ones that want to stand their ground and fight for their nation and help their neighbor but this is also a message to the individuals that want to take this as an opportunity to erode our civil liberties will be Compliant, compliant for the shelter in place or the quarantines to try to abate this disease. But mark my words, if the powers that be want to take advantage of this situation and erode our civil liberties, I believe that there are going to be quite a few Americans that say enough is enough and they're going to put a gun to the establishment's head and blow it off. Blow it off. And that is the character of the American spirit. I am concerned, and I think many Americans are, that we're going to have a new rollout of constitutional freedoms being eroded through what I call the biopatriot. Just like what happened right after 9-11 through the Patriot. 
For those that think that they're going to do forced vaccinations because of this virus and how much damage it does to the economy, they have another thing coming. It's not going to happen. Unfortunately, there's not going to be enough Americans that actually stand up to the plate and fight for our country. But there will be enough. There will be enough. Just barely. Just barely. Just like what happened, Just like what happened when we were fighting our, for our freedoms, fighting against freedoms against the British Empire. British Empire. So those ones that sat on the couch, didn't want to participate in any capacity that matches their skill set, that risk their lives. Well, I pity you. You don't deserve the freedoms you have. But the ones that are standing with that are standing with that don't hide that don't hide between between you know behind some computer screen computer screen or some thumbnail that never shows their face and tries to dissect the world and say you know the new world order and all this is orchestrating it and never show their real true colors on the front on the, on the front line. I also pity people like myself like myself. That hang it all out in the open. They take the ultimate risk, saying that we're not going to let this tyranny continue. Those individuals, those individuals, I salute. I salute. Because those types of individuals were the same individuals that were the NYPD and the FD, the 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 firefighters of of New York City. New York City. FDNY. FDNY. Because they didn't run. Because they didn't run. They stood their ground. They stood their ground. And they re rebuilt after, after, you know, the ultimate sacrifice. And that's what we mean by born in the USA. So the globalists, so the globalists if, you think you're gonna if you think you're gonna make a move, make a move on us, on us, I think you have another thing to have. But hopefully it's so just speculation, and that's not gonna happen. And everything will go back to the way it used to be pre-Wuhan. But this is an opportunity for everyone, right now. Right now, as we're in our homes, as we're in our homes. to reach out to, to your representative, representative, use those templates use that those I have on my website. On it's my called Template One and Template Two. It's a PDF, PDF, or a Word doc. I think it's a PDF. And use those templates. Contact your representatives and tell them that you do not want the caching. You do not want the BioPatriot Act or any form. You do not want forced vaccinations. You do not want a never-ending surveillance state. You do not want social scoring. And you do not want the never-ending tyranny that the Patriot Act has caused. And that we're going to roll back to a pre-9-11 day. There's no reason why you can't do that. What is happening right now? Well, we're being quarantined in our homes to let the 
this virus pass through at the angel of death. This is our 9-11 right now. Right now. It's happening right now. What are you going to do about it? You're gonna sit there and be, sit there and be make, do commentary. Do commentary. You're gonna be active. You're gonna be active. And be on the battlefield. And be on the battlefield. You're gonna tell your gonna representatives, tell your representatives what, they will do. what they will do. Don't ask. Don't ask. Don't beg. Don't beg. You tell. Beg. You tell them what they will do. What they will do. And if they don't, and if they don't abide, abide. By what we're asking for, we're asking for. We do a constitutional do convention. A constitutional convention. And if that fails, and if we that purge fails, the government. We purge the government. We purge the government. We are not going to have never-ending tyranny, never tyranny, tyranny in this country. What are you going to do? Are you going to run? Are you going to stand your ground? Are you going to stand your ground? You're going to be like those first responders on 9/11. They didn't run. They didn't run. You're going to be a pussy. You're going to be a pussy. You're going to not fight for your country. You're going to not fight for your civil liberties. Civil liberties. Or will you dig deep? Fight for what? Future generations fought for. And provided a plethora of opportunities for us. Because if you don't do it, you don't deserve the freedom to do So no, I'm not running. I'm not running. I'm standing.